Podcast, the basketball coaching podcast bringing you the best ideas from the game's brightest minds. I'm your host, John Leonzo, and today I'm joined by Coach Pete Gash. Pete is going to bring a wealth of knowledge to the show. He's most recently spent the last couple months going around to a bunch of high-level Division I programs, observing their practices, learning from their coaches, and in this podcast, he's going to go ahead and share his key takeaways with our audience. But before I do dive into my interview with Pete and the good things he has to share, I quickly want to encourage you to check out my website, leonzobasketball.com. That's L-E-O-N-Z-O basketball.com. On the site, you're going to find a bunch of free uh, resources to help develop your team offensively and uh, specifically in regard to player development and how those two things can mesh offensive systems and player development. A lot of video PDFs, teaching points, drills, anything that you need to help your team improve is there. That's leonzobasketball.com. If you'd like the show, you'll love the website. Go ahead and check it out. And now over to my interview with Coach Pete Gash. Pete, welcome to the Full Time Out Podcast. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Man, I appreciate it. It's a great opportunity. I love what you're doing. And uh, the more we can get out there and talk about this game, the better. Well, let's jump right into it. You've worked for a bunch of really good coaches, Billy Donovan, Tom Crean, Dr. John Giannini at LaSalle. And at each one of those stops, I'm sure that you learned some really valuable lessons from each one of them. As you reflect now back on your time with those coaches, what were some of the key things you learned and uh, took away that are helping you even now? Yeah, you know, there, there's so much stuff that I've taken from from Coach Donovan, Coach Crean, and Coach Giannini. Um, you know, th- there's just so much stuff from a mentality standpoint and a leadership standpoint um, that, that, that those guys give you every day, just kind of being around them and seeing the way that they've run their programs um, and getting a chance to get to know them. So there's so many different things from a mentality and a leadership standpoint that I got. You know, the basketball piece with those guys was was like getting your masters you know in basketball just being around them all the time you know i'll start with coach donovan who's obviously a hall of fame coach and won national championships and been to final four and now he's in the nba but you know from a basketball standpoint john the thing that i learned the most from coach donovan was just watching him coach on offense and what he did was he was so good at moving the floor moving players um, kind of staying ahead of the defense. And it was great to see him watch, or for me to see him teach it. And it was great for me to be around him every day and make edits for him and see what really he was thinking about. That's really what I took from him from a basketball standpoint, was just getting to watch him coach offense and see how fluid he was at it and how he got everyone to buy in, how he got everyone to play so unselfish. And it was really a great learning opportunity to see him coach offense. Um, you know, with Coach Crean, he is one of the better player development guys in college basketball. I think anyone in college basketball knows that. Um, and just getting a chance to see him work with guys individually and kind of take their individual game and expand it so much in a short amount of time was really impressive. Um, you know, and then with Coach Giannini, you know, Coach Giannini was really ahead of his curve defensively. You know, I worked for him over over 10 years ago. He was really uh, innovative with switching. And, you know, now you can't go to a college practice or, or watch a college game and not see a heavy dose of switching. Well, he was really early in that with just being interchangeable, two through four, switching, switching out on down screens, switching pick and rolls, keeping the ball in front of you and using the length. Like he was really creative with that. If you look back to his teams at LaSalle when he first got there, they were one of the first teams 
to really do one through five switching. And I kind of picked that up from him. And then as the games evolved, you know, I've brought that to some different places. It's just the impact that you could have on switching and denying and switching to deny and different things like that. So those are some of the basketball things I got from those guys. But again, like the leadership and the, and the mentorship that they all gave, you know, was, uh, was second to none. Specifically in regard to Coach Donovan, you mentioned how good he was at teaching and coaching the offensive end. Compared to some of the other places you've worked at or bosses that you've worked for, what did Coach Donovan do that set him apart or made him even a little bit better at that half of the floor? So what, what Coach was really good at was, was playing out of concepts. And you know that's kind of a common thing now that you hear a lot of people talk about. But what Coach did was he was constantly creating different entries to get into his continuity. And what it did was it made defenses really think about what was happening early in the possession. And then right after the initial entry happened, now all of a sudden you had to guard his pick and roll motion. So the offense was always constantly ahead of the defense. And Coach always used to talk about that. And We've got to stay ahead of the defense. We've got to move the floor. We've got to move the ball. You know, we've got to get elite movement on our offense. And he would do that. And what what happened is he'd hit you with five or six different entries. And then you and then you flow into your continuity. So when that, what ended up happening with him from an offense standpoint was you never needed to worry about what you were doing at the end of the shot clock. And we never even had an end of the shot clock play because the way that we ran our continuity, the shot clock was going to wind down and the defense was going to break down and we were going to get a good shot. And our players really bought into that and he really preached it. So our guys were just constantly trying to turn the floor over and passing up good shots for better shots and and the defense would break down. And, you know, here's an interesting thing. The year that I worked for him, we didn't have a back-to-the-basket player. It was the year after uh, Pat Young and Will Get left Florida. We had Dorian Finney-Smith and Chris Walker and John Horford that were that were bigs. And we were one of the top teams in the country in points in the paint, but we, we really never threw the ball inside. But that was just all because he was moving the floor, opening up lanes, playing five out, getting down the paint, getting threes, and getting, and getting uh, wide-open layups because of how much he moved the floor as an entry and as a continuity and eventually led to the defense breaking down. Um, hopefully that, that answers that question. And then from a, from a tactical standpoint, he was really good at taking days that you weren't going hard or you weren't focusing on defense or scouting. And he was really good at kind of breaking down the offense into parts and getting guys really to see where they could be successful in their part of the offense. And that's where guys got comfortable and knew where their shots were coming from. So then as a follow-up, I want to ask you about the different entries that Coach Donovan ran. Was that something that he had put in at the beginning of the year and did the same ones over and over, or were they more opponent and scout-specific for the teams that you had on your schedule? Well, what happened was we had a a bulk that we put in early, and we kind of evolved as the year went. Um, But what he was really good at was, like, if we were playing against a team that was really denial-heavy, like, he wouldn't even try to enter it through the wing. He would It would be a dribble push entry or it would be playing out of the middle of the floor, a high pick and roll, a horn set, different things where he didn't even have to get the ball to the wing. So, it, you know, it was one of those things where we had our we had our traditional package of what we were doing from jump, and then we kind of evolved by what type of team we were playing and what we felt, what we felt could exploit them um, it, it, you know, in terms of getting into your, into your continuity. Awesome. And then in regard to Coach Donovan installing the concepts, did he 
break down the offense and install it bit by bit, concept by concept? Or did he kind of start with the whole big picture and then break it down into parts from there? What was that install process like? It's a great question. And this is something that we that I talk with a lot of people that I work with about and a lot of people that I get to know is like, is your head coach a part to whole guy or is he a whole to part guy? And you know, it's so funny because so many different coaches are so different with that. Coach Coach Donovan was more of a let me give you what we're gonna do. Let me put it in, let me install it, and then let's break it down from there. And what that really did was it gave the guys a feel of what they were trying to get out of it. And then if we needed some work, let's say playing out of a spread pick and roll, or we needed some work on when we were running our continuity pick and roll, and there was a tandem side and we set up and we had to go hard with the back cut, we'd work on that. Or if we were sloppy in the middle of the floor with a high pick and roll, we would work on that. So he was much more of a hole to park guy, but I've worked for some guys that'll give it to you in little increments. Uh, and then, but, and then all of a sudden, it, you know, it's your first practice and now they're putting in the offense and guys, guys pick it up a little quicker. So it's, it's different each coach, but coach Donovan was really good at giving you everything, letting you digest it and then tweaking it and making you see the reads as and then the final follow-up I have is when Coach Donovan would do that initial whole part install. Uh, was it done 5-on-0, 5-on-5, guided defense? What was the actual format of that first install? Yeah, so so when I was there, we just first started being able to work with the team um, a little bit earlier than when, when official practice started. So it was a lot of introducing it as a whole, 5-on-0. Uh, doing it multiple times and it would look a little sloppy at first guys would kind of struggle with you know kind of thinking about where they where they would need to go but we would do it so much and he was so good at five on oh and teaching five on oh and holding guys accountable that you know they kind of got the, the the hang of it and the flow of it and then like i said then we'd break it down into parts but a lot of the install was was five on oh as a team Transitioning now, Pete, I want to talk about the unique experience that you've had over the past few months as you've traveled around and watched a whole host of high-level coaches run their basketball practices. Obviously, that's an opportunity that a lot of people uh, envy and wish they could have, and I'm excited that you're going to share your takeaways with my audience. Uh, So now that you're on the back end of that tour, what are some of the key concepts or takeaways that you did observe there? Yeah, so you know, these the last month that I spent um, going around the practices was, was one of the best things I've ever done. And, and, you know, all the guys that I talked to in the business said, if they had an opportunity to do what I did, they would do it. You know, they were telling me like how jealous they were of me. And I was just sitting there going, man, I, I wish I was, you know, coaching, you know, I want to be on the floor. I want to be my team. But what I understood was that everyone wants to do this. Everyone wants to use their contacts. They want to go see different people you know, run practices and get ideas. And I could really recommend anyone that's either out of a job or looking to get into coaching to do this would be one of the most beneficial things that anyone can do. Um, I'll say this about the practices that I went to. The best practices had the best tempo. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, there was, there was almost no time to blame point fingers. Um, think, you know, when you when you have really good tempo in your practice, you you are going at such a speed and such a high level of, uh, of intensity that you're you're becoming instinctual in everything that you do. And the best practices that I saw were ones that really flowed from one drill to the next, and there was no dead time. Um, there was tons of urgency in them. Players knew what they were doing. They were going from one drill to the next. The staff was making sure there was no lag time. 
you know, changing from one drill to the next. And there was also a really good balance between competitive drill work and, and five on five play. And I'd say that uh, the best practices that I saw kind of combined those with really good tempo and it allowed their guys to become really chaotic in practice, which I think really slows down the game for them once the ball's thrown up in the air. So now talking specifically about that practice tempo piece, when you're thinking of or reflecting on the best practices that you saw that had that good tempo, were they kind of segmented where they work on offense for a little bit, then defense, or did they kind of interleave and intertwine between different focuses and different drills? That's a great, that's a great question, and it's something that I really, like as I took down all my notes and I went back and I looked at it, I kind of I kind of figured that there was two different types of, of practices. There was a segment-based practice, which was kind of the majority of the teams that I saw where, you know, they would have a warm-up segment. Um, they would do like a, a peer pressure or, or a fundamental in that warm-up. Then they might go to 20 minutes of half-court, whether it's gap positioning, shell defense, pick-and-roll coverage. They would kind of have a defensive segment. And then from that defensive segment, then they would break into maybe an offensive execution to get them going into playing five on five or playing versus scout team or managers. And then they would usually end it with some sort of up and down um, full court, whether it's a transition defensive way to start or they're playing out of a half court action into three trips. That was the most common theme to the practices that I saw. But I'll say this, the best practices I saw were ones that were constantly changing from drill to drill within a seven to 10 minute span, lifespan of the drill. So their guys were getting what they needed to get in conceptually, but it was at such a pace that right when they got defending dribble handoffs or right when they got defending, uh, you know, pick and rolls, they went right into an offensive thing where they went into, okay, now we're doing, you know, five to 10 minutes of offensive execution. You know, then we're going back to defense and now we're working on uh, walling up and guarding the ball. Okay. Then after that, we're going to offense and we're running five on O with a point scoring system. Okay. So they, they went from offense to defense to offense to defense. Now they're playing. And I thought that was really unique to see those type of practices where the tempo was so high and they weren't marrying the drill for 25 minutes. They were just going in five to seven or seven to 10 minute increments, getting the concepts in, having an awareness of what they were doing and then applying it two drills later or a drill later so their guys can constantly pick it up and move and, and kind of fight through chaos and know what they were doing. So. Um, I'll say, you know, Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro, Bob McKillop at Davidson, uh, Danny Hurley at UConn, Jay Wright at Villanova. Like those were the practices that went from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And there wasn't a segment based, you know, and then I got a chance to see guys like Mike Rhodes and Ed Cooley that were segment based. Brian Gregory too at, at, at South Florida and Joe Mahalik at Hofstra that were segment based. And when they put their 20 minutes on the clock to work on their defensive fundamental or whatever it was, it was really focused and really locked in. Um, and it kind of, it kind of worked for them. So really two different ways to plan practice, but I thought they were really effective, uh, both ways. And again, as long as there's not a lot of downtime or time in between drills, the practice flows pretty well. 
you had mentioned running 5-on-0 with a point scoring system, and that definitely caught my attention. So before I uh, backtrack and ask any follow-ups about what you just shared, I quickly would just want to dive into what did that 5-on-0 period look like and how was it scored? Yeah, one of my favorite things um, regarding these practices, you know, I think 5-on-0 is kind of the face of your offensive um you know, program. Like if you're a serious five on O team, you're going to be a well executed offensive team and sloppy five on O is you're going to be a sloppy offensive team. I don't think there's really a way around that. And just seeing 35 practices, you know, and then looking back at guys and their offensive track record, that's common. The common theme is how you do five on O. So I saw a couple really, really creative things. Um, the Villanova family is really good at this. The Davidson family is really good at this. But it's just kind of okay where now you're going 5 on 0 and you're scoring it. And the way that you can score it is threes are threes. So you're taking game like shots, twos are twos. Okay. Offensive rebound tip ins or offensive rebounds where you have a good angle are one point. And if you get an offensive rebound, and you don't have an angle and you kick it out and you make a three, now that's four points. So what they'll do is they'll have a red team, a black team, or a white team, blue team, whatever, and they'll score it according to what they just did. So let's say both teams are running a, like a, a uh, you know an entry into an action. Well, they got to turn the floor over. Once the clock gets underneath 10, they take a shot. If they make it, you know, uh, it's two points. If they if if they if they hit a three, it's three points. If they get an offensive rebound, put back, it's one. And offensive rebound, kick out, it's four. So that was really creative. I think that was a really good way to do it. And I thought the really good coaches were good at holding those guys accountable. And what they would do was, if it was a sloppy pass, if it was a bobbled ball, if it wasn't executed the right way, it would be zero. And then the next team would have an opportunity to get to the points. And they would play the games up to fifty, up to seventy. I saw one game up to 25, but just a way to keep those guys engaged at 5-on-0 and make them use their imagination um, to help them execute offense. Going back now to where you compared the different types of practices, some being segmented and some kind of being interleaved, uh, for the ones that had a really good pace where they were bouncing around from drill to drill and not doing it in a very segmented way, I'm curious to know what was the role of the assistant coaches versus the role of the head coach in those practices and how the staff was utilized. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so, you know, so a majority of the time what would happen was each coach would have a segment. So, like, let's say they were they were working on 2 one, one breaks on, on the offense then. A coach would go in there, he'd spit it out really quick, the guys would understand it, boom, they'd do it, he'd kind of be overseeing the drill. Now they'd flip to a defensive drill, okay, and now it might be working on wing pick and roll, middle pick and roll coverage at that fast pace. Coach would go in there. He would say it real quick. It would never. It would not be elaborate. He would speak their nomenclature or their terminology. The players would get it. They they get it down pat, and they'd go to the next drill. So it was almost like each coach had a little bit of the segment uh, or a little bit of the, of the drill. And it, what it did was it allowed each coach to have some ownership in that drill. But also the coach that wasn't explaining the drill now could help the other guys understand the drill and then also get prepared for his drill that might come next. So that was something that was really cool in those in those practice structures was seeing how um, how much the assistant coaches had to do with the actual install of the drill in those practices. Whereas the segment based coaches were a little bit more the head coach was kind of explaining the drill, getting them ready for it. Assistant coaches might hop in and and, and help execute the drill, but the head coaches were more talking about the drill, getting them to do it, moving on to the next drill, explaining it 
getting them to do it, and so on and so forth. So as a follow-up to that, uh, there's so many different connotations that the word drill actually has. Some coaches, a drill is a you know pre-programmed pattern that's done with no defense. Other coaches just teach different concepts and work on different things that they emphasize in 3-on-3 or 4-on-4. What did you observe more of in the practices that you saw? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. I think that um, I think that the days of doing uh, mundane drills that aren't competitive are, are kind of going away. Uh, I think that every drill, and the way that I view a drill is like if, if we're doing, you know, a three-on-zero drive and kick, that's a drill. But when you throw managers in there and you they have to close out, you've got to get in the lane, you've got to kick, and we're scoring it. Yes, that's a drill, but it's much more of a competitive drill than it is just hey, we're gonna we're gonna call this a, a drill and just do it and get out. So um, I, I'd say like a majority of the practices now, where there's a there's a time and a score or a scoring system to the drill that makes it flow a little bit better and get out. So here's an example. Everyone's working on closeouts, right? That's like kind of the theme. No matter who you are, you work on your type of closeout. Well, if you put up three minutes and you say, hey, listen, we're going to do this drill for three minutes, and then within that three minute, you're going to kind of tweak it here or add this different closeout or say now he's a non-shooter. Now it speeds up, and it's not as much as you're just doing it to do it, but now you've got to think and react and you're playing against that clock to get as much in as you can before that, that three minute segment is up. So Pete, I have to ask now that you've observed all these practices, you've been around some great basketball minds, taken a lot of notes, seen a lot of really good concepts and ideas as you prepare to move into your next job, what's one or two key things that you're going to take away from this experience to make your next job uh, even better? Well, first off, when it comes to, when it comes to whenever anyone goes to a practice, I think that, you got to take as many notes as you can. I had this this black book, and I would just I would write down everything. I would write down from how they started practice to what the assistant coaches did before practice to did they use film or are they coming off of a day off. I just think all that's great. And 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 John Janini, you know, I talk with him a lot. He's he's doing games now for Stadium Sports for the A10, and I, I asked him a lot about just different coaches the year that he was doing that last year. And he went around and he talked about Mark Schmidt at St. Bonaventure's, and he just said Mark Schmidt's really good at just, he's a he's a collector of basketball ideas. And, you know, one of the reasons why he's such a good coach is he just, he just collects everything that he thinks. So if you're a young coach or whoever you are and you're going around to these practices, I would just tell you to, to just collect everything that you can. If you're a video guy, I would tell you to have a folder on your desktop that's just ideas that you like. Because um, I think that it really helps. But here are some things that I really, really think that are, are going to translate wherever you know anyone goes um, from this. But there's there's a couple things I really thought were 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 innovative. Is you know everyone's got really good you know starting practice drills, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's uh, fundamentals, you know, whether it's closeout drills. But to me, what what separated practices for me was who had great finishing drills. Mm. So how did you structure the end of your practice? Are you doing a competitive four on four, um, you know, uh, shell drill? Are you doing perfect positioning defensively? Are you doing a charge drill? Are you playing one-on-one competitively? Are you playing two-on-two competitively? Are you in a scramble drill? But how, 
how do you structure the end of your practice was really was really great for me to see. I thought every coach had a little bit different, and the best coaches, they had the best morale, they had the best vibe at the end of practice. But I thought that was something I'm really going to take with me is how do we end practice. You know, obviously the, the 5 on us scoring system was something that I think I'm going to take with me. Um, here's a concept that I learned, and I, I won't tell you who – did it because I don't want to betray confidence, but there's a really good um, concept right now that people are getting from the NBA, and it, it's called mind bomb. And I think that it's it's really it's really cool. Is you introduce something to begin in practice, you know, whether it's your late, you know, whether it's your late um, game defense, your late game offense, you are under 10 second play, you are trapping the post scheme. You introduce that in practice, and then the coach yells out mind bomb. And when he yells out mind bomb, the scout team or the designated guys are going to be in an action that you've got to defend that you worked on early in practice. Or you say mind bomb post defense. So now the, the offense runs an action, they get the ball into the post, and now your guys have to think about what you did early in practice and react to it with no time to think. And I thought that was really creative. And I, and I saw it defensively, and then I saw it on offense where you put in an action, and then all of a sudden, after 30 minutes of practice, the head coach blows a whistle and yells, mind bomb, 52 stack. And now all of a sudden, your guys got to get out of whatever they're doing and run 52 stack and run it perfectly. So that's a really cool concept that I, that I got from this, from this practice tour. Um, another thing is how do you, how are you going to handle your water breaks? You know, I think that the worst thing that a team can have in practice is when the whole entire team is around the water cooler. You know, it's, it's like that water cooler discussion um, that a lot of people have, and that's where a lot of negativity comes out. But, like, really good coaches, they'll never have their whole entire team around the water. They will either be shooting free throws. One team will be doing something, um, you know, lefty layups. The other guys will get water, and then they'll flip-flop. Or they'll do something, which I thought was really great, was they'll time their uh, water break according to what a media timeout is. And they'll have – Certain guys sit in front of them. They'll draw up something. The guys behind them will watch. They'll go out there. They'll execute it. While one team is executing it, the other team will have water and then vice versa. Mm. So it's like a really creative way to get your guys learning how to think. Short-term memory retention. Um, think on the fly. Think while you're tired. And also manage your water breaks where now there's not dead time or guys over there bickering um, You know from what just happened. So I, those are some really good concepts that I liked. Um, that were kind of creative that, that I, uh, that I got from doing this. And then another thing that I think is really good, John, is not enough teams work on special situations and the best teams at special situations work on them early in the year. So if you take segmented time in your practice and you think, Hey, I don't need to worry about that. We're two months away to play. Well, if you're working on that in September or August or July and you introduce it, you can do more things where if you play a two-minute game or a four-minute game, your guys will know exactly what to do in a, in a time-and-score situation, which will make them more affluent in it, which will you know, lessen the stress in that situation during a game. So I really think looking at some really good teams and seeing what they did when it came to special situations and how early they worked on it was really impressive to me. It's something I definitely want to take with me wherever I go. I love that. And going off of the idea of having really good finishing drills, can you give one or two specific examples of some good finishing drills that you saw? Dusty May at Florida Atlantic, who 
is a really good coach. He, he does this thing where it's called two minute blockouts where he's got co- he's got coaches and managers lined up in five different spots and he's got a shooter. And essentially what they're trying to get is they're trying to get two minutes straight of blockouts with no offensive rebounds with the shooter shooting from different positions. So you never know where the ball's going to go. The shooter kind of moves around and the other five guys are blocking out. And the second there's an offensive rebound, it goes back to two minutes. Mm-hmm. Now it, it, that's a ball buster drill, but it gets everyone in the gym chanting. They don't want to give, they don't want to be the one to give up the offensive rebound. And there's just a great morale to it. Um, I like that. I like another thing that I thought was really good uh, that I saw was uh it, it, it was it was a it was a defensive concept. So what it was was there was five offensive guys that were playing straight motion, pick and roll, random pick and rolls, and off ball screening. And you either had to the coach would either say, okay, now we're switching one through four, or now we're not switching one through four. And your the objective was the defense to have a perfect possession, and he would just the head coach would just randomly call out. Hey, we're going, uh, you know, five on five on five against the scout team, against the managers. No switching. Get a stop. And they would just do that for about five minutes. Two different teams, and that he would mix and match what he was doing defensively. So now the guys had to think, but they were also in such chaos that they were that they were just trying to push through and get those stops. So I think that's a great way to get your team to focus on the last four or five minutes of practice. Like it's all about getting stops and rebounds. So I thought that was really good, um, you know, and it kind of it kind of puts your guys on edge. I also liked um, another thing that I thought was really good at the end of practice was just kind of a hustle drill, a charge dive, um, offensive rebound, finish type drill, just to get those guys in a good place. And, and, and the more that I researched it, the more I learned that some days it's a, it's a way to end practice is, is a mentality. And then some days they might just want to keep it light. They might play full court. Or they might play half court knockout. Or they might play three point shooting competition. You know, two different teams, first one to thirty. Like, there's just different things of what you're trying to get out. Are you trying to keep them light? Are you trying to try to let try to lighten the mood? Are you trying to establish a mentality? Or were you upset with the way they practiced? So you had to end on a good note. Like, there's just a lot of different things that I got, and I talked to a lot of coaches about it. And it's all just kind of an instinctual thing of how they wanted to end practice um, to benefit their team. So the last question I have then, Pete, regarding practice, when you saw these coaches run efficient practices, did they have any set pattern or routine for recapping drills, debriefing, or checking for understanding? Yeah, no, I didn't see a lot of the debriefing. I thought there was a lot of, um, and this is what makes really good programs really successful, there was a lot of assistant coaches talking to guys when the head coach wasn't talking to make sure those players understood it. But there wasn't like a general debriefing session. I just think when you're limited for time Mm -hmm. and guys' attention spans are so short now, you've got to just kind of move, move, move. Now, what a lot of coaches do do is they they will start the next day with practice, with film on the practice court. Uh, which I think is really becoming common is just bringing your film out to the practice court. And let's say it's a minute and 30 of something you guys didn't do well. Um, 
those guys are seeing it before practice and they're still kind of in a groove. They're sweating, they're shooting a little bit, you know, they're ready to process it instead of sitting in a film room and watching 20 minutes worth of an edit. They just kind of break it down. So your debrief almost becomes the next day. And then you go out and try to do that, that, you know, execute that better in your practice. You've made mention a few times, Pete, about how you took copious notes as you observe practices. And I'm curious what was the process like and what will the process be like as you go ahead and review those notes, take certain drills, and then uh, strive to make them accessible for yourself in the future so you can recall and go back on your experience? Yeah, that's, that, that's great. So here's, here's kind of what, um, what I did, and I think, it, I think it really helped me, was I, like I said, I, wrote, I was so detailed with everything that I wrote down. And then what I did was at the end – uh, of the tour, I went down and I said, okay, like, let me, let me kind of make a drill book here from what I saw and kind of add it to different drills that I have or that I like over the years. So like if, if I saw five or six really good transition defensive drills, I would write those drills down in a transition defensive segment and I would have those. Now what happens, especially with, with practices, you forget you know, with plays, you can kind of find plays on synergy or, or remember them or use your memory to, 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 to see them. But with drills, it's hard because there's so many moving parts to a drill. So what I would do is like GW had a couple really good transition defensive drills. So I would write down the three different transition drills that they did. Okay. And I would, I would write as many notes as I could about them. And, and obviously I was keeping track of the days. So now like, let's say in two years, I'm like, man, we need to new, we need to new, you know, transition defensive drills, I'll call up one of those guys on staff. And now that everything's on film and everyone saves everything, I can say, hey, listen, on September 23rd, I saw you guys do three really good transition defensive drills. Would you mind having your video guys send me those three drills? Because I want to implement those. So that's kind of how I'm going to keep it organized for the long run. But in the short run, it's just taking tons of notes and then at the end, kind of compiling them into segments of what you like and what you want to take with you. And um, I think any assistant coach should do that with wherever they go. And I wish I would have done this when I worked for Tom Green when I was 21, 22 years old, was just have every drill that he did and just have it in a notebook. So now I can go back to see it because I still think about things that he did or different things that Janini did on the, on the defensive end. And I'm like, I wish I would have had those um, now to reference those. Um, and I did a good enough job with when, when I was with Coach Donovan of having that, which I'm always going to use as a resource, but just kind of always staying organized and collecting ideas, I think is such a great way for anyone to kind of um, evolve as a coach. Well, Pete, huge thanks for all that you shared. I know I love talking with you and really appreciate you sharing your time with me. And I hope that the uh, people that listening can find it beneficial. If anyone does listen and wants to get in touch with you, what are some ways that they can go ahead and do that before we wrap up? Listen, I, I, I got, um, I'll do whatever. If anyone ever wants to talk ball, man, just call me. I mean, uh, they can get, they can get me on social media. Um, they, they can email me coachgash at gmail.com. Uh, like I love talking hoops, different types of hoops. I mean, me and you were talking too. Like, I think the women's game is so um, is so good in terms of manufacturing shots. And you know, I'm always looking for different coaches to study on the women's side too, to kind of broaden my horizons a little bit. So, if anyone wants to shoot me any ideas, they can. But anyone that wants to talk about anything, I'm, I'm always there and would love to help anyone.